Amen. Again, what a tremendous privilege to worship the Lord together, sing praises to his holy name. He is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, continue our worship this morning as we turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You can stand with me for the reading of God's word. Genesis 1, verse 1. This is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, again, to be able to come together to open up your word. Even this first verse of the first book, let us know your ways, we pray. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us, your your character to us through your word, even this morning, that we would know you better so that we can glorify you in our lives, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified in this time. We pray that you would change hearts in this time, all for your glory and by your grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you can be seated. Well, let's just dive right in here. Uh, last week, we left off with three points of application as we begin our time in Genesis. Three quick or exhortations, call them New Year's resolutions, if you will, uh, as we begin this new year, this new book. Remember, we talked about Moses in Exodus 33 praying, asking God, let me know your ways that I may know you. I've seen your miracles, your works, your acts, but I want more. Let me know your ways. We then said that was the prayer for us here at Lakewood. Lord, let us know your ways. First exhortation was to pray like Moses. Let us know your ways, Lord. Show us your ways. We then said, let's not neglect the means by which he has chosen to reveal himself to us, not through dreams or visions or living prophets, epiphanies or angels, but only by the regenerating work of his Holy Spirit and through the power of his holy and inspired word. We said, let's make it the priority of our lives every day. To go to that source of revelation. Be in the scriptures every day of your lives. Finally, we said, make it a priority to come together on the Lord's day to be with the body. To not forsake the assembling together with the people of God. Where we remember the sacrifice of God. We're instructed by the word of God so that we can then scatter to proclaim the gospel of God to a world that is dying because they are without God. Right? Let's not spend our Sunday mornings in the midst of a dying world, devoting our lives to the temporal, to hiking or children's activities, but rather that we would be here as a body of believers being built up together for the glory of the head who is Christ. And so here we are. Here we are this morning together, already having prayed together as a body congregationally, Lord, let us know your ways that we may know you, already having opened his holy and inspired word where he says, okay, here are my ways. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we dive in a bit deeper into this opening verse, but only the first four words this morning, okay? In the beginning, God. And I'll tell you right from the get-go, we won't even scratch the surface, The depth of those four words, the weightiness of those four words, the eternal weight and eternal significance of these four words in the beginning God is so far beyond human ability to fully describe or articulate and so far beyond all of our capacity to comprehend and understand that some might and have even asked, what's the point of even trying? What's the point in stopping to consider and stretching our minds to consider the incomprehensible ways of an almighty God if we can't fathom or comprehend the truths that he will then reveal to us? What's the point? Well, the point is he has revealed it to us. 
He has revealed it to us. So we would be crazy to neglect it just because we cannot fully understand it. If he revealed it in his word, he obviously wants us to know about it to some degree or else it wouldn't have been revealed. But there it is. Right there in the first four words of this first book, as plain as day. In the beginning, God. So if this is the case, we ought to ask him to let us know his ways, even in the first four words of this very first verse, right? Let us know your ways. And then depend fully upon him to make it clear to us what it means. That's how it works. A.W. Tozer said it this way. Knowledge of such a being cannot be gained by study alone. It comes by a wisdom the natural man knows nothing of, neither can know, because it is spiritually discerned. It is spiritually discerned. He said, to know God is at once the easiest and the most difficult thing in the world. It is easy because the knowledge is not won by hard mental toil, but is something freely given. As sunlight falls free uh, on the open field, so the knowledge of the holy God is a free gift to men who are open to receive it. This knowledge is difficult, he says, because there are conditions to be met. The obstinate nature of fallen man does not take kindly to them. End quote. What he's saying there is, yeah, it's difficult. It's as difficult as anything in human existence, but the basis of our comprehension is not that of our own intellectual abilities or intelligence, thank God, but rather it is spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. Our comprehension of the ways of God rests upon the Spirit of God, who gives believers a greater understanding of the revealed Word of God, which was given to us by the sovereign grace of God alone. Even in this first verse, even in these first four words, we see it, okay? What I love most about these first four words is this. They're not the start of some confounding, elaborate apologetic, okay? It's not some start of some profound defense of the reality of God. This is not God trying to convince anybody or persuade anybody that he exists. It just comes right out and says it as if there's no other possible explanation. And there isn't. In the beginning, at the start of time as we know it, along with all space, all matter, all created things, God, God, God was there, for he created time and space and matter. Look at those words again. There's nothing in these words that demonstrates for us that God is out to prove that he exists. Henry Morris rightly said, the opening verse of Genesis simply takes this truth for granted, as though it were so obvious that only a fool could say there is no God. And that's exactly right. This world abounds with accomplished fools. This world is full of highly intelligent, highly perceptive, brilliant, genius, men, genius level men and women who at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they were granted to exist within and participate in and operate within will prove to be nothing but the world's biggest fools. And because they spent the duration of their short lives playing around with their little bone collections and telescopes, trying to convince the rest of us that Genesis 1-1 isn't true. They will prove to be the world's biggest fools because they depended solely upon their human intellect and reasoning to explain how things came into existence, all while the glory of the sovereign creator of all things, including their very lives, was staring at them right in the face, screaming, he did that. That's right. A resounding amen. Like it or not, Genesis 1-1 essentially mocks those who miss the spiritual forest for the tree. It says it doesn't matter how brilliant you are, how gifted you are, how admired you are, how accomplished you are in this temporal world system, you are nothing but a fool if you don't believe that all things came from the Almighty God. You're a fool. Right out the gates, he says, in the beginning, God. Now, I want you to realize this. Not everyone has had the opportunity to read those words. You know that? 
Many, many billions of people throughout history have never heard these words, and they perished in their sin. Whole people groups in this world right now, as we speak, have never been afforded the opportunity to read those words, not to mention the rest of the words that contained in the book that sits upon your laps right now. We have indeed been shown a tremendous grace. Right here, verse 1. He has revealed this to you and me this morning. As if we were in the deserts of Sinai ourselves, right at the base of the mountain, in the tabernacle, through the veil, right into the most holy place before the Ark of the Covenant itself, faces shining from the radiance of the Shekinah glory of God. He's saying to you, revealing to you right now as you sit here, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He exists. He was there. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with this reality, this grace that's been extended to you? Can you discern this truth through the power of the Spirit? If not, it's because His Spirit is not in you. But even as Christians, let's be real here, even as Christians, just thinking of these four words for more than a few minutes straight and the finiteness of our human minds is overwhelmingly exhausting. The very beginning of everything, the reshith in the Hebrew, the first, the chief, the start, the foundations of the foundations of creation. It's like Job, God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Well, you got me there. Not a one of us can answer that. Or if we're being honest, consider the depths of it for an extended period of time. It's unfathomable. And because of this, I think it would be a mistake for us to jump into the created universe, time, space, matter, earth, heavens. We're just not ready yet. I think to start, we have to go back. Back to a time, which, as you'll see, doesn't even make sense to say since there was no such thing as time right before the beginning. But as far back as we're able to articulate it, back to that time before the beginning of time, okay? Let's take a look at what the divinely inspired scriptures reveal to us about some of the ways, some of the perfect attributes of the only one who existed at this point, okay? The one who was not created, but rather is creator of all things, including time. The opening uh, verses of John's gospel says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, how many things? All things things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Let's go back to that point. Let's examine some of the ways of God which existed before time began, before the beginning of the beginning. Okay, And to do that, I, want, I just want to show you some texts that describe his eternal character. And not just in lecture form here, okay? I don't want to just talk at you like a running commentary. There's plenty of, of material available out there. I, I'm happy to recommend some. I'll send some via email. But mostly it's right at our fingertips here. We want to know the facts and the truths revealed to us regarding the ways of our God. But we're interested in more than just mere head knowledge here. Right? We also want to see why these attributes matter to our lives, both our lives here on earth and our lives uh, in glory. And I wanted to start with maybe the most complex way or attribute or perfection of God, maybe the hardest for us to wrap our minds around, and that is his infinitude, okay? Or the infinity of God. Point two in your outlines. All we know is how to operate within a world of limits. That's all we know as humans. All we know is how to operate within a a world of boundaries, right? Psalm 39 says, Oh, Yahweh, cause me to know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. That's us. We're the transient ones. We're limited by time. We have, what, 70, 80, 90 years if somewhat decent health is maintained. Maybe in rare cases, some in here will see 100 years old. 
We, we are constrained to operating within what we know as 24-hour days. The sun rises, the sun sets, the night covers the earth, and it does it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. We can look back to a historical set of and series of events. We can look forward in our day planners to what may lie ahead, but we are always, always constrained to operate within parameters, bound, bounds, and limitations that have been set for us, Right? God knows no such limitations. He knows no such limitations of time for, again, he is the one who created time and the concept of time. He set the bounds. He set the parameters. He is the one who set the sun and the moon in their courses above. Again, he existed before the created order, before his creative activities. He was their author. Therefore, God is unlimited by time. And this very verse proves that. In the beginning, God. He was there. He was there before the beginning of the creation of all things, time, space, matter. Meaning, he is limitless. He is measureless. He's infinite. He's unbound by time, matter, and space. Take matter, for example. We are all constrained to these bodies, right? But he is a spirit. Jesus told the woman at the well, God is spirit. Those who worship him must, must worship in spirit and truth. Paul in Colossians 1 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. John says, no one has ever seen God. Sure, there's been various manifestations of God. There's been parts of God. There's uh, the glory of God, the angels of God, God in human flesh, God among us for 33 to 35 years, but not Elohim in all his glory. No man has seen God. Why? Because God is a spirit. Spirits are invisible. So we know that the living God is not limited or constrained by any matter at all, certainly not a body, not flesh, nor is he limited by space, right? His Infinitude transcends space, even space. He is measureless, so heaven and earth could never contain him, and we see that. Solomon, at the completion of the temple, blesses the people by saying, Yahweh has said that he would dwell in the cloud of dense gloom. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. But how quickly he reminds himself of the foolish thought of confining the God of all creation to a building resting upon the earth that he spoke into existence with the word of his power. But will God truly dwell upon the earth? Behold, the highest heavens cannot contain him. You, how much less this house which I have built you. God confirmed it, right, didn't he? He said, uh, heaven is my throne. The earth, this earth is his footstool. It's a footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my rest? Was it not my hand that made all these things? Come on. A building can't contain him. The earth can't contain him. The highest heavens can't contain him. He is not limited by space. He is infinite. He is without measure. He is uncontainable. Those telescopes we talked about earlier, man, they're making some incredible discoveries. Did you know that the sheer size of space makes it impossible to accurately predict just how many stars we have? That's what they say. Quote, right now, scientists and astronomers use the number of stars only within our galaxy, the Milky Way, to estimate that the number is between 200 and 400 billion stars. You know, give or take a couple hundred billion. <laughs> Just to give ourselves some wiggle room here. <laughs> and there are estimated to be billions of galaxies, so the stars in space are completely uncountable. At least they didn't say 250.7 billion <laughs> stars. Right? But don't miss this bold declaration of human exploration. They say the billions of galaxies containing the billions of stars are completely uncountable. Well, to the Hubble telescope, maybe. To NASA, maybe. But the psalmist says 
Not only does our God count the number of the stars, he gives names to all of them. Well, do you believe that or not? Good. How can he possibly do that? Well, because he is infinitely knowledgeable. His knowledge knows no bounds. He knows everything about everything and everyone, right down to the very number of hairs on our heads. No jokes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Let me have it. He's sovereign even over receding hairlines. So. <laughs> he knows everything. He knows the hairs on our heads. He knows the very thoughts and inclinations of our hearts, which he just caused to beat within you again as you sit there hearing his word. Is he sustaining your life? What will you do with it? That may be the mi- most mind-blowing aspect of his infinite nature. He is perfectly without limit. He is infinite in all of his perfections, in all of his attributes. He is infinitely wise. No limitations on the wisdom of God. He is infinitely powerful. He possesses all power without limitation. He is infinitely omnipresent, all present, without limitations. He is boundless whether in terms of interacting with his creation or whether existing apart from his creation. The only actual limitations God has are those things which are not considered perfect. Example, evil. Weaknesses. Those are imperfections. Therefore, they're not a part of God's infinite character. But why is this important? Okay, why does this matter? Well, consider the infinitude of some more of his ways. He has infinite compassion. He has infinite grace to display toward those whom he pleases, uh, to all who he pleases. Remember last week, remember what he said to Moses? He said, uh, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. That's compassion without measure. Grace without measure. That's what Paul means when he writes, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He said it it is a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. He has been shown abundant grace from the one who possesses infinite grace. He's got grace to spare. Same with his mercy. Right before that, Paul said, I was shown mercy. God's character is one of infinite, perfect mercy without limit for the faithful man or woman of God. And love, his steadfast love, right? The chesed. His loving kindness endures for how long? Forever. It can go on forever and ever because he has infinite, measureless, boundless love. His infinite, loving ways existed from before time began in the same infinite, loving ways. They just keep going and going and going. That's great news for the, those who, whom he's extended grace and compassion to, right? It never runs out. What a profound joy as we, limited men and women, are able to turn to And find rest in a God who is unlimited. Isn't that great? There is only one who possesses an unlimited nature. It's the same one we see here in our verse 1. In the beginning, God. The supreme God. The self-existent God, as we see in point number 3 in your outlines. Most theologians, they begin with the self-existence of God, and for good reason, I think. It's also known as his aseity. Derived from the Latin a, from, and see, oneself, meaning he is from himself. In other words, he is not from any other source. He wasn't created by, nor is he sustained by, anything outside of himself. Otherwise, as we said last week, whatever source he was dependent upon for anything at all, including his existence, then that source would be God, right? Does that make sense? But he's not. 
When Moses, under the divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, writes, in the beginning, God, here in verse 1, he's saying, in the beginning, the God, the supreme God, the one who has always existed, began the work and activity of his creation of all things. That's all this verse is saying. So simple a child could understand it. God is, then God did. So simple, yet so complex. God is? What does that even mean? Well, that's what he said. Remember back on that mountain with Moses? Bush burning, yet not consumed. Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. Come here. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will send you to Pharaoh, so you shall bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. He said, certainly I will be with you. I, this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God at this mountain. Remember what Moses said to God? He said, behold, I'm about to go to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They will say to me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Jehovah, Yahweh, the great I am. I am who I am, not I was who I was, not I will be who I will be at some point when you get your act together and go, but just I am. I am who I am. The best of title, the best of names, only one who can make the claim. That's a personal declaration of the limitless, the self-existence. Yahweh clearly says, even within this one statement, I have existed eternally and independently, always, always, before the beginning, before the beginning of the beginning, I am. And by the way, I am at the end of time too, and after the end of time, and all in between. I am. Moses said later in Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. For even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus confirms. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has given uh, to the Son. So, even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. He has life within himself, life everlasting. He is entirely self-existent, self-sufficient, which means that he has no origins and is consequently answerable to no one. He is answerable to no one, right? I love what Matthew Henry said. uh, The greatest and best man in the world may say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says, absolutely, and it is more than any creature, man or angel, can say, I am that I am. Yahweh has always existed from everlasting to everlasting, not dependent upon a single source or a single soul for anything at all. It's it's difficult to even begin to think about because, again, everything that we experience on a day-in, day-out basis is all a part of the created order, right? Right? We're not from ourselves. We do see the planets created. We do see the sun created. We do see the stars created. We do see the mountains, the oceans created, created. All of our senses, uh, our sight, sound, smell, touch, taste, created, 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 created. Our entire existence. All the vital components of it, our minds created, our bodies created, our relationships created, all brought about at some point in this thing called time. Yahweh, God, Elohim, uncreated, not created, always existed, always. In the beginning, God created Not, in the beginning, someone created the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but in the beginning, God created. God who is. 
Now, why is this important? Why does this matter? This seems like crazy talk. Folks in the university, they'll laugh us, laugh us right out of this building. And the elite will laugh us right out of this place as they sit around pondering their man-made and man-centered philosophies, contemplating the microscopic fibers of their own navel lint, congratulating each other on their own intelligence and intellectual achievements, ultimately attributing the beginning of everything to some random explosion 15.6 billion gazillion years ago. Oh, why the creator of the heavens and the earth looks down and laughs. Pitiable creatures. You know, we would be laughing at them too if it wasn't so tragic. If we didn't know the eternal wrath of an infinitely holy God remains upon them. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the scientists and the astronomers of all people should be declaring the glories of the self-existent creator. But they don't. So they're no better than astrologers, modern-day theorists and philosophers with oversized calculators and billion-dollar magnifying glasses, which we pay for, by the way. Again, Tozer nails it here, speaking about the unknowability or incomprehensibility of a self-existent God. He says, this is one reason why philosophy and science have not always been friendly toward the idea of God. These disciplines are dedicated to the task of accounting for things as we know them and and are therefore impatient with anything that refuses to give an account of itself. Philosophers and scientists will admit that there is much they don't know, but it is another thing to admit that there is something that they can never know completely, and which, in fact, they don't even have the techniques for discovering. That's the truth right there. To discover God, he said, scientists must attempt to bring God down to their level, defining him as natural law, evolution, or some such principle, but still God eludes them. There is more to God than any such concepts can delineate. These things are spiritually discerned, right? Well, it's hard to discern the things of God when you're enslaved to the spirit of the world. But we know he's self-existent, don't we? He's self-existent, self-sufficient, independent from all things, right? Why? Well, because he says so in his word. That's what he said. And let God be true, though every man was a liar. His word, which is perfectly, infinitely true. Jesus said to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The psalmist said, the sum of your word is truth. All of it. Every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. Just one more quick note on the... Independence and self-existence of God, only because I know certain preposterous teachings have crept into the church, like God is dependent upon his creatures for fellowship, or to usher in kingdoms, or to enact certain covenants. He is dependent upon us for company, even, they'd say. Oh, God was so lonely in eternity, he created man, now he's not lonely anymore, or he needs us to accept him so that we can glorify him. He needs our glory. He needs us. Let's just be clear this morning based on these texts, including the first four words of our text, the infinitely self-existent creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth needs nothing. Certainly not from us, sinful men and women. He's got the company of holy angels. What in the world would he want us around for? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. Every beast of the forest is mine. He's talking about sacrifices here. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountain. There's that infinite knowledge, right? Everything that moves on the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine, as well as its fullness. We give ourselves way too much credit. Now, the amazing thing, though, 
the amazing thing is that the Almighty God does love his people, right? We can have glorious fellowship with him. That's what makes his grace so amazing. But don't get it twisted. He doesn't need anything. He has never needed anything. He has always existed in perfect light and perfect truth and perfect holiness and perfect fellowship. Actually, things didn't start going south till we came along. But he knew that was going to happen too, didn't he? So, out of his infinite mercy, his perfect mercy, he implemented a perfect plan of redemption. Even from before the foundations of the earth, even before the foundation in the beginning, when he always existed independently of his creation, right? Both these attributes tie in, of course, to our last point for this morning, his eternality. We've already spoken of it to some degree. We've already heard Moses declare in Psalm 90 that Yahweh exists from everlasting to everlasting. But I thought we'd uh, benefit from one more reminder of this glorious way before we move on to created the heavens and the earth. Okay? All, and all because of the implications for our souls this morning. The implications for our everlasting souls. My brothers and sisters, everything that we've talked about this morning, the sun, the stars, the moon, the seas, the mountains, the senses, the relationships, the sciences, the philosophies, the theories, the histories, the great men, the wise men, the fools, everything will one day pass away. Everything you see here, you look around, people included, gone. It's all going to pass away. Everything that we will consider together next week, everything that exists within time and space and matter, everything, everything, including the very heavens and the earth, will one day pass away. But this same infinite, independent God who has always existed within himself, from himself, he will remain forevermore. Again, the psalmist says, my days are like an outstretched shadow. As for me, I dry up like grass. But you, O Yahweh, abide forever. The remembrance of your name from generation to generations. God His eternality has been called his existence enduring, and it endures forevermore. One preacher said, all of God's attributes bask in his eternality, okay? He neither wears out nor runs out, neither do any of his attributes. God said through Isaiah the prophet, do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary, or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. A God who is not eternal is no God at all. There's only one God who has always existed and will exist forevermore, perfectly unchanged at any point. He says in the Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Again, he says through Isaiah, I am God. There is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. The end from the beginning. You know what that means? That means we could have very well started at Revelation twenty two twenty one this morning, and it would have been just the same to God. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. It would have been the exact same to God. He just said, He declared the end from the beginning. That means he's already declared what hasn't even, as far as we're concerned, happened yet. Meaning, are you ready to have your minds blown? Jenny, you better sit down back there. (laughs) Are you ready to have your minds rocked? (laughs) Meaning. It's already done. It's already finished. We're just existing within the divine plan of God that's already been determined. You don't believe me? Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sits on it is called Faithful and True, and the armies of heaven were following him on white horses. Did I miss that? 
Revelation 20, God rains down fire from heaven, destroying both Satan and the armies of the nations. All unbelieving men and women killed, birds gorging on their flesh. Now surely I've missed that. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There is no longer any sea. What? No more sea? The earth passed away? What do you mean? This thing that we're floating around on right now? Yeah. He knows the end. Not only does he know it, He's declared it. It's done as far as he's concerned. We're just along for the ride. That's all we're doing. I told you this was heavy, right? Just wait. All of a sudden, talking serpents and worldwide floods don't seem all that crazy anymore, do they? Not for this God. Not for the great I Am. He says, oh, I've already, I've already declared that. And you see, from his vantage points, from, from his perspective, it's already done. I've heard, I've heard it said that time to God is like a parade, okay? I kept hearing this and reading this over and over, so I thought, I thought well, maybe I should say it too then. <laughs> to God, time is like a parade. You've all seen a parade, I assume. I remember we used to watch that Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade every year. Now I wouldn't let my kids near the TV when it's playing. You never know what's going to pop up or pop out. But anyhow, we used to watch it for all the floats, this big, what do they call those, balloons, blimps. Sure, you got the dancers, the bands, the hoopla, very nice, good job, good job, come on. I wanted to see what really mattered. I wanted to see the cartoon blimps. I wanted to see Charlie Brown with his big old bald head. Everyone loves a big old bald head. I wanted to see Snoopy, Yogi Bear. I wanted to see, in my day, He-Man, the masters of the universe. For all you ladies, Rainbow Bright. (laughs) I want to see Garfield. I want to see Rocky and Bullwinkle. Now, if we ever went to one of these parades in New York, which we didn't, we would have likely stood on some street corner or in front of some shop to watch it here. And our limited vision would only permit us to see the various floats and bands, mainly as they come into our view, passing by in succession. You couldn't really see what was coming next. We're trying to see Rocky and Bullwinkle come by, and we got Raggedy Ann and Andy in the way, right? We couldn't see past them, very very much further past them. We certainly couldn't see the very end. However, if we were to hover high above 6th Avenue and Central Park West in a helicopter we would see the entire parade route with everybody and everything in it. Okay? Right? Doesn't that make sense? We'd see everything, the whole thing, start to finish. In the same way, but with infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, the all-present, all-wise, omniscient God knows all of the individual intricacies and characteristics, circumstances, and concern, along with all thoughts and inclinations, past, present, and future, of each and every individual soul standing on those streets, or holding on to those blimps, or riding in those floats, in every generation. He knows all things about all people, in all the parades, and in all the other events, and all the experiences that have ever taken place in this world throughout all of time. And he sees them all at once, just as if they were a glimpse. Okay? To him, past, present, and future are just now. He knows all. It's always a full knowledge. It's always now with God. It's always now with God. I don't know how else to say it. You know why I don't know how else to say it? Because I don't understand it. (laughs) And you know what? I'm okay with that. I like serving a God I can't comprehend. I'm okay. I'm not embarrassed. I'm okay with it. 
I'm okay with standing here and saying, I don't know how to articulate this. And you should be okay with it too. It's good to have a God that we can't comprehend. In fact, it's better than good. It's praiseworthy. It's praiseworthy. Praise the Lord that we cannot fathom or adequately explain God. That's why he and he alone is worthy of our worship. Amen? Amen. Okay, why is this important? Why does all this matter? Why not just study the things that we can better comprehend? Our experiences on this earth, our testimonies. We can talk about that. Things of this life. Why should the eternality of a holy God matter to us? Well, I would go even a step further here. Not only should the eternality of God matter to us, but it should actually be the central focus of our lives here on earth. Because, my brothers and sisters, our time here is coming to an end. Our time is coming to an end. Man's time on earth is very short. Again, should the Lord tarry? Not a one of us in this building will be here 150 years from now. Think about that. The oldest living person in the world right now is some lady named Lucille in France. She's 118 years old. Our life on earth has been called by the same all-wise, all-knowing, all-infinite, independent, eternal God, a breath, a vapor, a mist, Here one second, gone the next. A flower that fades and floats away into the breeze. The one who has seen the end, declared the end from the beginning, says that our lives are like grass. They're here in the morning, but they're burned up in the afternoon. These lives of ours are short, temporal, transitory, fleeting, passing, momentary, and they're going quickly, aren't they? Is that it then? I mean, (laughs) we just live in this world, this corrupted and cursed world full of heartache and tension and anxiety and dissatisfaction, discontentment, just hoping to enjoy some of the common graces of life along along the way, love, laughter, family, music, art, wealth, comfort, joy, peace, before we end up in some box in the ground or some crematorium. I mean, is that the goal? What a tragic parade that would be. What about the real us? We're not our body. We're not our faces. We're not our societal status, our lineage, our clothing, our wealth. That's not us. What about our soul? What about your soul? You know, one of the most comforting things about studying the ways of God, the attributes of God is that the same God promises that those who believe in him, who believe in his word, who believe in the gospel of his son, God incarnate, who came to this earth that he created, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life that only God could, yet was crucified, killed, raised from the dead three days later before ascending back up to the right hand of his father, this all-independent, all-eternal God said, truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes it and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death to life. All who believe him, all who hear his word and believe him. Do you hear it this morning? Do you hear it? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Do you believe it? God existed in the beginning and before the beginning, from everlasting to everlasting, eternally. And he has allowed you this morning, by his grace, to hear of his eternal, divine nature through his word. And his message to you is, believe it. Believe it. Believe and live. Believe and live even after you die. Is there anything more comforting in this world than to hear from the same sovereign creator, I will have mercy on you. I will have compassion on you. You have sinned against me. 
I will forgive you of those sins if you just believe me. Believe in my son. Confess him as Lord. If you would just hear my word, believe in my word, I will grant you eternal life with me in glory forevermore. Do you believe that? Do you believe in his gospel? You know, most every time I come into this pulpit, I think of the words of Richard Baxter. I preached as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Well, here we are. I'm a dying man. You are a dying man. You will one day, whether you believe it or not, stand in the presence of this same God. And he's not going to ask you, did you believe the science? He's going to ask you, did you believe my word? Did you believe what I said about myself as that, on that day as the body opened up Genesis 1-1? Did you believe in my word next week as we read, created the heavens and the earth? Did you believe that? Or did you try to explain me away through some humanistic thought and logic and reason? Don't walk out of this place a fool today, is what I'm telling you. Because as comforting as the thought of this infinite, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-holy creator is to those whom he has chosen to show compassion to, there's an equally terrifying aspect to his eternality. And it is terrifying. And it is that those who do not believe are condemned already. They're judged already. And they will spend eternity in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever apart from the common graces that they experience here on earth. Meaning, a person's worst day here on earth will be infinitely better than their best day in hell. So I would implore you. I would beg you, if you never have, today, to ask him to give you his spirit to be able to discern these truths, to Turn from your sin to believe in his word, to believe in his perfections, believe in his ways, believe in his revelation of himself through his scriptures, and believe in his gospel of infinite grace and infinite mercy. Will you do that? Will you do that? I trust that you will. Let's pray here. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you so much for your revealed word, word that by your amazing infinite grace you have allowed us in your sovereign will to come together this morning as a body, as a body of Christ and be instructed by your word. Thank you for showing us your ways as incomprehensible and as they are, Lord. We, you've, you've shown us by your spirit, your goodness, your graciousness, your mercy, your compassion. We've seen your justice, your wrath, but we praise you this morning for being delivered from it, Lord. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we praise you for your word. We praise you for your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.